We are entering into another one of our minor prophets. Uh, We ended just before Christmas and Advent season in Malachi, another minor prophet. That obviously doesn't mean that they're of less value. It just means that they're not as long as those like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Um, But we enter into the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah is, is a great book for the beginning of a new year. So let us rise and hear the reading of God's Word as we find it from Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. People of God, hear the reading of His Word to you this morning. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which, com- which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, So has he dealt with us. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do give you thanks for your word. For you tell us that your word will stand firm forever. You tell us that the grass will wither and the flowers will fade. But your word has lasting impact on our lives. Lord, we believe that this morning. And because you are a God who is faithful to your word, We pray the Holy Spirit that you would come and take these words, apply them to our hearts and apply them to our lives, and may we come to you in humility. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It's 589 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So we come out of the Advent season, we come out of Christmas, and everything is wonderful and exciting. We have a new year, and now we enter into Zechariah, and it's 589 years before Jesus was born. Actually, Zechariah was written after that. But in 589 B.C., in this year, a warrior king, this is what he's known by, the warrior king, the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, was one of the most powerful men in the known world. He ruled with an intimidating iron fist, and the city that he claimed as his capital was considered by many to be the greatest city of its time. It was this man who marched upon the city of Jerusalem and laid siege to the capital of Judah. For almost three years, the city was at the mercy of this warrior king. I don't know if you've ever, if you know what a siege is, but essentially the armies of, a, of another nation would surround the city and not allow anything to come in or go out. That means no food would come in, no water would come in, no commerce would come in or out. It was laid siege. The city was under the mercy of the warrior king Nebuchadnezzar. For almost three years, the city was at the mercy of the warrior king. Until, as the prophet Jeremiah puts it in chapter 39, verses 2 to 4, in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Neragal, Sar Azar of Samgar, Nebu, Sar Sakim, the Rabsaris, 
Nagal Sarazer, the Rab Mag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by the way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. This is almost something out of like the Lord of the Rings or something like that. When all of God's people saw this, they were terrified. And the officials and the army scattered like rats in the night. In 586, the city of Jerusalem fell into the hands of the warrior king Nebuchadnezzar. And for 48 years, the people of Israel were held captive as slaves in the great city of Babylon. Powerless, armyless, weak need at the mercy of a warrior king. But the question is why? Why did God allow his people to be captured? Why did he allow them to be treated in this way? For the city to be trampled, for the temple to be destroyed, for the walls to be broken. Why? 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 In order to answer that question, in order to understand the book of Zechariah, we must understand somewhat the book of Jeremiah. You see, in his prophecy, Jeremiah pled with the people of the, war, of, of the Lord to repent and to turn back to the Lord. He urged them to what Jeremiah calls, this is in the Bible, this is Jeremiah's words, the Lord's words, not mine. Jeremiah urged them repeatedly to repent of what is called playing the whore, to run after other things, to repent of not following the statutes of God's law. The people of God repeatedly ran after other gods. They repeatedly sought after everything other than the Lord. Specifically, we can say that they ran after all the comforts of the world rather than running to the Lord. They did not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They did not love their neighbors as themselves. For we are told in Jeremiah that they did not follow any of the statutes of the Lord. And what are the statutes of the Lord? Well, as Jesus summarized them for us in the New Testament, love God, love others. They did not do this. They did not love God. They did not love others. And upon this failure, the Lord issued justice against his people. Why? Because sin does not go unnoticed or left undone by the Lord. Something must happen. In this case, a warrior king, a warrior king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar happened. And for 48 years, the people of God were held captive in this great city of Babylon. In the year 538, the king let the people, however, return to Israel, return to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple that was destroyed during the siege. And so this is how we get to Zechariah. It's at this time that Zechariah and his contemporary Haggai prophesied to the people from the word of the Lord this one simple message. Repent. Repent. The message to this new generation of Israelites, this one that was once in Babylon is now returning into Jerusalem, the ones charged with rebuilding the temple, the place where the Lord would ultimately and ultimately does reside, was to not be like their fathers. Don't commit the same sins as your fathers. In other words, love God, love others. Do not fall away. And so this is where we find ourselves in Zechariah. 
at the outset of a strangely wonderful book. In our time here in Arlington, we have uh, had the pleasure a number of times of going to Six Flags. And even in, as an old man, I still love roller coasters. In our family, we like the roller coasters at Six Flags. We like Batman. We like Shockwave. But there's one that stands out above them all that's just the best. And it's the Texas Giant. Sometimes you've got to wait in line a really long time. I've waited in line for 45 minutes, an hour, to ride this crazy roller coaster. The only way to ride a roller coaster, and you can argue with me, but if you're going to ride on a roller coaster with me, you ride in the front car. That's the only way to ride a roller coaster. So you get into your front car, the roller coaster on the Texas Giant, and you exit out the, the covered garage, I guess they would call it, and you inch your way up, seeming like forever, and the train just hurts and jerks as the chain encourages the train to go up and up and up. And it goes on and on and on. And as you sit in your front car, all you see is a little bit of track and sky because the angle is so tall. And there's a moment. There's a moment that's not like any other moment. Is that as the front car begins to peek over the top of the roller coaster, all you see is sky. You can't see the track. You can't see the cars behind you. And you're just looking into the clouds. And then in the Texas Giant, it has one of the steepest declines of any roller coaster in the world. 79 degrees. I had to look it up. But it's steep. And you hurl. It's over 65 miles an hour down a 79 degree decline. And then you proceed for over a mile through twists and turns. And oftentimes you don't know what's coming next. This is a roller coaster, right? This is why we love roller coasters. Some of you are saying, you're nuts. But I think it's great fun. Zechariah is a bit like riding the Texas Giant. We're going to go through some crazy twists and turns. We're going to be inching up into visions and sights and scenes that sometimes you don't know where you're looking and all you see is sky. You don't know what's up or down and it's going to be a very odd and strange scene before us. But in Zechariah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have twists and turns. Sometimes we won't know what's around the corner. But the Lord will satisfy our longings. And we will find ourselves satisfied in His Word as we're hurled through this book of Zechariah. So join with me as we enter into this crazy, wonderful roller coaster of a book. Yes, the Old Testament is compared to the Texas Giant. <laughs> Zechariah is a bit like riding that roller coaster. But as we've seen, the people of Israel have been sent into captivity. And now they are just returning to a city that's torn into shambles. It's in ruins. And yet all the while they are given a task. If you remember, as we went through the book of Lamentations some, month ago, some months ago, it was a similar scene in which the city was in ruins and in, and in turmoil. But here and now it's a different little bit pers- different perspective The people are returning, and they have been given a task, two tasks, actually. The first task was to rebuild the temple. People of God, as you return to this city, the first task is to rebuild the temple because the temple is the heart and the life and the heartbeat of the city, for this is where the Lord God, Yahweh, resides in the heart of your city. The first task is to rebuild the temple. The second task goes hand in hand, with the first task. 
You see, because in these first few verses of Zechariah, perhaps you caught it, but what is the Lord saying through Zechariah to his people? Return. Return. Return to me so that I can return to you. Well, the Lord has to have his house established in order that he could return to his people. So it's a hand-in-hand dual task. Build the temple. Return to me so that I can return to you. But here's what I want us to see, and here's what I want us to know firsthand this morning. I want us to hear the words of the Lord, not as the heavy-handed, not as the righteous hammer of the Lord's right hand, but as an embrace of a father who looks upon the devastation of a city, who looks upon the ruin of his people. And he says in a still, small voice, return. Return to me, and I will return to you. And so this morning and throughout the rest of our time in the book of Zechariah, my prayer is that these words would sing softly in the background of our lives, in the background of our study. In order that we would hear that still small voice, return to me so that I return to you. Friends, the Lord is not far off. No matter the chaos, no matter the mess, no matter the brokenness, no matter the busyness, no matter where you are in life right now, the Lord is faithful. He's faithful to you just as he is faithful to his people as they were in exile. Now they return to their city. He has not forgotten them. He won't forget you. He has not forgotten them. And the message of Zechariah plays like a small, sweet violin in the background. Repent. Return. The Lord is quick to forgive. Repent. Return. Repent. Return. For our time this morning, I want to dive into what it means for the Lord to say to us, return to me. Return. Let me be as clear as what I possibly can here this morning. This phrase, return to me, it's not a code for anything. You don't need your secret Bible decoder ring to understand what that phrase means. You don't need to have a master's of divinity degree. You don't need to be an ordained preacher. You don't need to be an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. You just need to read your Bible. The Lord says, return. Return to me. Take it at face value. Return to the Lord. The Lord desires to be with you. The Lord desires a relationship with you. Now, here, today. He wants to be near you. But there's a fundamental problem. And that fundamental problem is this little thing called sin. Therefore, in order for us to be in the presence of this Lord, this holy and righteous God, who cannot be in the presence of this fundamental problem called sin, something must take place. There must be repentance. 
What does it mean to return to the Lord? To return to me? It means to repent. And so this morning, I want to take perhaps a bit of a different tact. And I want to talk about repentance this morning. Because I want to talk about what it means to return to the Lord. What it means for us to return to the Lord. It means that there's a need for repentance. Why do we have to repent? The simple and easy way to answer that question is that God judges all sin. And Paul tells us in Romans that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has committed some sin at some point in our life. So we have a need for repentance. What Zechariah is saying to this generation is that the sin of their fathers was that they did not repent of their sins. He's saying to them as these people walk back into a devastated city, And as they saw the actual practical implications of sin firsthand, as they literally picked up rocks to rebuild the temple, the the devastation of the lack of repentance and the devastation of sin was literally bearing of the sweat of their brow as a continual reminder of what has happened when we sin and what happens when we don't repent. You see, because what Zechariah was telling this new generation tasked with rebuilding the temple, tasked with returning to the Lord, is to remember their fathers. Remember the sins of their fathers. Remember that they just kept on sinning. They kept on running after every other God, after every other comfort, after every other elixir. They kept on not loving their neighbors as themselves. They kept on on not acting humbly with mercy and kindness and justice. They weren't the lights to the community that they were tagged to be. They did not repent and they did not return. Zechariah then is pleading with this new generation of God's people. Don't make the same mistakes. And so he pleads with us, don't make the same mistakes that your fathers made. Not only don't make the same mistake of the sins that they committed, but also don't make the same mistake of not repenting when we do make the same mistakes. So the fall of Jerusalem and the captivity were God's telling the people that their hardness of heart was not acceptable. The refusal to repent was not acceptable. How many of us have made New Year's resolutions? Maybe that's not so much a a thing anymore, but I would dare bet that some, if not many of us, on some level, have made some kind of New Year's resolution. The new year is a perfect time to start over. It's a fresh start. It's a perfect time to to reassess and to reevaluate last year and to determine, okay, this year I'm going to do more exercise. I'm going to have a better prayer life. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to Whatever it may be, right? Or maybe the better way that we can phrase this, that a New Year's resolution is asking a bit more of a theological question. How do I make things new this year? Or maybe more practically, how do I start again? I messed it up last year, or things didn't go exactly the way I wanted them last year. How do I start over? How do I make it better this year? 
After all, this is what we want, isn't it? We want a fresh start. We want to know that each day we have a new start. Each year we have a new start. And this is where God's Word, His mercies are new every morning. And that's why that's such a balm to our souls. Because we know that we are sinful people. We know that we're broken. And we know that our lives are in rubble, just like the temple in Jerusalem in 535 was in rubble. How do I make things new? How do I start again? Because this is what we really want. How do we start over? We repent. This is what Zechariah is telling the people. How do you rebuild this temple? How do you rebuild this city? How do you rebuild this nation? How do you rebuild your lives? Repent. Return. Repent. Return. Zechariah uses the Lord of hosts as his most commonly used term to refer to the Lord. This phrase comes actually from 1 Samuel. Zechariah picks up on David's words when David said this to the Philistines. You remember this as a a young boy? He said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Here is Zechariah referring to that moment when David is facing Goliath, And those armies. And he's saying, the Lord of hosts is at my back. And all you have is a spear or a javelin. And Zechariah is saying, people of Israel, you are weak. You are armyless. You are powerless. But the Lord of hosts comes with the armies of hosts at your side. He is behind you. Return. Repent. Come to the Lord. The people of Israel without a city. Without a king. Without an army. And here Zechariah uses this phrase of David to communicate strength and courage. In a time of uncertainty and doubt, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts stands near to guard and protect, to hear our cries in the midst of our own rubble, of our own desolation and our own brokenness. So therefore, we do not repent in fear or trepidation, but rather we repent in confidence, knowing that the Lord of hosts is near. But what is repentance? It seems to me that this is another one of those terms that we throw around in Christian circles, repent. And again, we never really take the time to consider and to ultimately understand what is it to Repent. Zechariah gives the pathway of understanding repentance. He says to return to the Lord and the Lord will return to them. Repentance is not merely turning from sin, but it's also at the same time turning to the Lord. When we repent from sin, we turn from sin and we turn in the same motion to the Lord. This then is what it looks like for us to return to the Lord. Then the Lord returns back to us. Repentance is turning not only from our actions, but it's also a turning from our attitudes, our emotions. We also turn all these things to the Lord. In verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 1, it says, Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. Turn to the Lord. This is the pathway of repentance. We cannot repent fully without both of these things being true at the same time. What do I mean by that? You have to turn from sin, but you also have to turn from the Lord But oftentimes, I know in my own life, if I repent from something, too often I don't turn from the thing only, but I turn to something 
else. We turn away from the Lord. We turn away from one sin and turn to another. We can't then turn from gossip and turn to lying instead. We can't turn from hatred and turn to jealousy. Repentance means turning from pride and turning in humility to the Lord. Do you see the difference? For, for oftentimes we turn from one sin and we medicate and we self-medicate into something different and something just as bad, if not worse. Well, at least I don't drink anymore, but we turn to this. At least I don't lie anymore, but we turn to this. At least I don't abuse this, but I turn to that. No, what repentance means is that we repent of our abuses. We, return, we repent of our brokenness. We repent of our gossip and of our lies and our pride. And we turn to the Lord, not to something else. This is at the very heart of what Zechariah is telling us through the Lord. Return. Turn to the Lord. Repentance is scary stuff. Repentance scares us because in repentance, we have to understand something about ourselves, don't we? We have to actually acknowledge that I don't have everything figured out, that I am actually broken. We have to acknowledge that we are indeed broken and the debris lies all around us, just like the rubble of the temple as God's people strode back in to Jerusalem. And we, I, don't like to face the reality of that kind of brokenness. I want my temple built and pretty and decorated with bunting. Too often it is in rubble. And I don't like to admit that. The people of Israel who had become wealthy and comfortable in Babylon are now returning to Jerusalem and are forced to come face to face with the debris of their reality of what had happened to them. They had come from Babylon, but Zechariah pleads with them to do more than simply just return to the city. It's not enough just to turn from this and go to the city, but you actually have to turn to the Lord. You can't just rebuild the temple. You have to rebuild the temple and return to the Lord. Repent, return, and he will return to you. This then leads me to the next point about repentance. Is that God graciously receives those who do repent. Imagine you are one of these Israelites, one of these people of God returning from Babylon, and you're walking through former streets that maybe you knew and saw as a child. And you walk and you have to avoid the rocks and you have to avoid the rubble of war and siege and the devastation that lies all around you. How often do we walk through the same rubble and devastation of our own brokenness and sin of our lives? And then we have to come to the Lord. But here's what we must hear. Here's what we have to hear in those moments. We have to hear that still, small voice. That still, small voice that sings in the background of this book, in the background of our lives. I will return to you. I will return to you. What a blessing those words must have come to the people returning to face the reality of their city and of their lives. What a blessing it is for us as we gaze over our own brokenness, our own debris, to hear the same still small voice, I will return to you.
I will return to you. Jeremiah says these words, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. This then is our incentive as well, isn't it? That no matter our sin, no matter where you, I, we find ourselves here and now today, God is quick to forgive and to receive those who come in repentance and faith The good news of great joy, the good news of great joy is that the Lord is a gracious God, quick to forgive. This is what Jesus expressly taught in the story of the prodigal son too, isn't it? We know that story. He he shattered his inheritance. He shattered every good thing that his father gave him. He was left with literally the debris in a pigsty. And he repents and he returns to his father. And remember the scene, right, with the prodigal son? Does the father say, get out of here? No. He says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. My son has returned. You are forgiven. Put a ring on his finger. Give him a robe. He has returned. This is what the Lord does for us. Repent. Return. I will return to you. This then is why we repent. And this then leaves us with the final aspect of faithfulness of God in our repentance. It's only through the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ that that those who repent are forgiven. God, as a holy and righteous God, cannot be in the presence of sinful people. There must be an atonement made for our sin, for our brokenness. And so in the time of Zechariah, That was done through the sacrifice, and that sacrifice was performed in the temple. So the building and the rebuilding of the temple was imperative for the atonement of God's people in the Old Testament. It had to be there. But then that ultimate and final sacrifice, as we know, is accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. For he was sacrificed not in the temple, but sacrificed on a cross. And it was his blood that was shed and spilled over that cross that now sheds and is spilled over us to atone for our sins and our brokenness. It was something more than a lamb. It was a Savior, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. J.R. Packer says these wonderful words to us. Between us sinners and the thunderclouds of divine wrath stands the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are Christ through faith and we are justified through His cross and the wrath will never touch us, neither here nor hereafter. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. We will never experience the destruction of our temple, of our city, because Jesus already paid that price. For he said as he walked by the same temple, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus has destroyed it. He has rebuilt it. And he says, repent and return, for I will return to you. And as Jesus leaves, he says, I am not far off. I promise, he says, I will never, ever leave or forsake you. He is never far off. And so we repent in confidence because Jesus is near. And he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to be with us forever and ever. So when we repent, 
We repent through faith, not in our ability to repent, not in that we repented really well or we did it a lot, but in the fact that Jesus has already accomplished everything that we need. This then turns God's righteous anger into joyful acceptance and love. Because Jesus was slain on the cross, we are given robes of righteousness. This then is the faithfulness of the Lord of hosts, who stands sentry with the armies of Israel over our lives to defend us against the enemy. So people of Redeemer Arlington, repent. Return to the Lord, for the still small voice sings sweetly in the back of our minds, I return to you. And he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. This is the faithfulness of the Lord our God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your accomplished work for us, that you indeed are not far off, but that you are near and you are faithful to people like us. So Lord, bring us close to you this day. Watch over us, guide us, and protect us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who lives forever and ever. Amen.